0: what what happens if there are distractions suddenly
1: if you if you have any if we need to pause we need to pause that's not a big deal okay then are you are you expecting distractions
0: uh the only thing might be my dog might start barking
1: oh what kind of dog do you have
0: i've got a poodle okay yeah she's actually asleep there in the beanbag behind me but um yeah
1: And, and what's her name
0: her name's ginger
1: ginger cute yeah Well, I hope that Ginger has a nice, calm podcast recording, as we will.
0: Yes, me too.
1: So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello, everybody, and welcome to So Many Damn Books. My name is Christopher, and this is a blessing, a curse, and a podcast. I am sitting here in the Zoom hyperspace with someone coming in from the far reaches of Japan, Allison Watts. Allison is the translator of the novels Sweet Bean Paste by Durian Tsukagawa, Spark by Naoki Matayoshi, and The Asawa Murders and Fish Swimming in Dappled Sunlight by Riku Anda. She is a longtime resident of Japan, and she is the translator of the book The Boy and the Dog by Seishu Hase. I am so excited to have you on, Allison. I've always wanted to have a translator on the show, and. I am so glad that you were able to put a as- time aside from your busy schedule to do this.
0: uh it's uh, totally my pleasure, Christopher. I'm honored to be your first translator and also thrilled to be talking about the boy and the b- the boy and the dog with you. This is my first opportunity to talk about it. So there's oh, a that's, lot to say. <laughs> that's so
1: exciting. That's that's really exciting. So the drink, I always make a cocktail inspired by the book. But um, when I was talking through your publicist, uh, you said no cocktail. Don't make don't make a cocktail with sake. Just drink cold sake with this one. So I went out and I bought um, I don't know much about sake. I It's, uh-huh. it's something that's a little opaque to me. Um, nice. So I bought a Junmai Komodo.
0: Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Sake is the perfect drink this book I thought because sake is the national drink of Japan really and it's made from rice and there are so many connections between sake and all kinds of daily life rituals and daily life and to religion and nature so it's yeah I I thought it was a good match (laughs) and when you drink sake I mean in Japan people don't just drink they always have something to eat as well so that's why I suggested you have something. Something
1: to go with it? I stopped by my local Japanese market and grabbed mm. some um, rice crackers wrapped in seaweed.
0: Oh, good, good. And Perfect. they're absolutely Perfect. delicious.
1: I won't yeah. crunch into my microphone right now, but yeah. I've been I've been eating them as I as I was getting ready to record. And ooh, they are addicting. You can really just Aren't eat, they? And eat and eat. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, and healthy for you, too. So,
1: <laughs> Are they? I, I mean, yeah. it seems like a lot of salt, but um, maybe not. Salt,
0: but the seaweed part, you get a lot of iron in that. Oh.
1: So you live in Japan. Yes. How long have you been there?
0: Um, I've lived here 34 years now.
1: And you're, you moved there from Australia?
0: That's right, yeah. Okay. I was born in Australia. Um, so, yes, I've lived over half my life here now Uh, but actually this time next year I will be moving back to Australia so that's kind of going to wow yeah a a real wrench for me but it's time
1: (laughs) were you planning on spending 34 years in Japan when you first moved there
0: Uh, not at all I came here for a year and stayed for two then I got married, and I've been here 34 years now. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's, that's what I think, too. I sort of can't quite believe how my life turned out. But Yeah.
1: yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you do that. You look around at what you've wrought for yourself, like, wait a minute. Was this how I planned it, or is this how it just happened? Yeah. I'd love to know. This is the next section of the show, and I would also particularly like to know, what did you buy? Yeah. Have you bought any interesting books or anything wonderful recently?
0: I have bought something wonderful. Actually, last week I went on a trip to Kyoto, which is at the other side of Japan from where I live. So it was the ancient capital of Japan before Tokyo for over a thousand years. And Kyoto is this city in a basin and it had, when it was the capital, it had this um, thriving merchant and artisan culture and it's, it's full of Beautiful temples and gardens. It's the place that everybody goes to when they come to Japan. They want to go and see Kyoto. But I actually haven't been there for 30 years because it's so far away and covered and everything. So after 30 years, I went there and I bought myself a copper wire mesh coffee dripper. Okay. <laughs> this is one of the, uh, yeah, one of these ancient arts and the wire mesh products so all kinds of wire mesh products uh, for straining food or straining tea and i got this amazing um coffee coffee dripper which i'm really thrilled with so i'm just i'm making my coffee with that every day and admiring the workmanship in it and and the taste of the coffee that comes from that so and it's a great souvenir of Kyoto as well
1: that's so lovely yeah Yeah, that's that I do feel like um when I travel to a new place I often end up with another type of coffee maker. Um mm-hmm. I I feel like I could go through maybe a week and a half without making coffee the same way every day because oh, really? uh, because of my personal <laughs> dumb coffee making collection. Um so oh. I understand the the siren call of a new coffee maker.
0: Yes. And I think um maybe that would be a reason for you to visit Japan someday, Christopher.
1: Oh. <laughs> It is a dream of mine, absolutely, you know, i I want to visit well, i I also got something interesting. i I, I picked up uh, in the in the realm of translation, there's a new translation of Bambi by Felix oh. Salton. Um, and so this is the this is the book that it, the Walt Disney animated film is based on. and it's yeah. been it was translated a hundred years ago when it came out. But right. this is one of the very first new translations. A new translation by a person named Damien Serles. Oh. And that's... it's put out by the New York Review of Books. And yeah. I am, it got an incredible review. And it sort of says like, because Bambi was made into a children's film, a lot of people think of it as a children's book. Yeah. But when it came out, it was just a novel. It wasn't necessarily yeah. just for kids. So I'm really excited to discover this text. I've, I've, I love the movie. Yeah. And I am, very interested to read the. I, I've never read any of the text, so I'm I'm very curious to dive in and see this classic of nature writing.
0: Yeah, I'm fascinated to learn about that. I had no idea that uh, Bambi was written in another language, and that it was a novel. What was the original language? Do you know?
1: It's Italian. So,
0: yeah. Well, I guess yeah, Bambi. When you think about it, it is a,
1: <laughs> yeah, it is an
0: Italian-sounding word, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And it shows you just how much difference translation can make and different translations of the same texts can put an entirely different slant on a book yes yeah
1: absolutely and I feel like that's the perfect segue into the life and the world of the translator how did you come <laughs> how did you come to translating what brought you to translating Japanese texts or translating at all
0: well I. I started to I didn't actually learn Japanese until after I married um, and I learned it because I thought if I'm going to live here and want to do something really interesting I have to know the language so I, I started doing self-study at home because I don't live anywhere near a big city or Japanese schools and um, eventually found a job in a Hitachi elevator and train factory <laughs> and as an English odd job person. And while I was there, I started doing, um, they uh, fixing up their texts and their manuals and things, and then sort of moved on to trying a little bit of translation myself. And then after that, I quit and I became a freelance commercial translator for many years, about 20 years. But in 2016, I, um, I switched to, becoming a full-time literary translator. I I felt like I had to succumb to my destiny. I couldn't avoid it anymore because that was the thing I enjoyed doing most. So yeah, I haven't looked back since then, calling myself a full-time translator. Wow.
1: So it's relatively recent. It's in your uh, 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 translating novels.
0: Yes, that's right. That's relatively recent, although I did translate a book that's, it's not a novel. It was a um, a memoir, a travel memoir that was published back in 2007. And that was about um, a, a journey in China and Tibet. Uh, it's called Tao, On the Road and On the Run in Outlaw China. And doing that, that was kind of a passion project, a book I read. And I thought, oh, I have to translate this. Because uh, before studying Japanese, I'd originally studied Chinese and I'd gone to China and I'd gone to Tibet. And I just, um, I felt like I had such a deep knowledge of that and the times and that book that I was born to translate that book. So I did that. And I guess that's what lit my, um, the spark in me for literary translation. I realised that that's what you could do. But, you know, so many things happened Um Commercial translation, raising a family—it it was a long time before I could actually get around to doing novels in Japanese. Right. <laughs> but I finally found <laughs> found my way here. Yeah.
1: How did you come to the boy and the dog? I guess what is the process from? Did did you try to get on the book and you wanted to translate it, or do you have a? I I don't know anything about the world, so I'd love to, right. I'd love some more insight.
0: So, I don't know if you've happened to notice it all, but there's been a spate of um, best selling books about cats to, um, translated into English. And it, it's it, almost to the degree it's quite ridiculous. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think well, the people that are translating those books are my friends and colleagues. So, I don't begrudge it to them at all, but I just think it's quite funny that there's why all these books about cats? And I kept joking to everybody that, look, I'm going to do for dogs what you've done for cats. <laughs> <laughs> so I've sort of had my eye out for a dog book. And then this um, Hussisans book won an important literary prize two, um, two years ago in July 2020. And as soon as it won the prize, that's when I heard of the book for the first time and I read it immediately. But when I read it, I thought, i irrespective of the fact that it was a dog book. I just loved it so much. I could not put it down. I thought, I just have to translate this book. I really want to translate. So I contacted the publisher and told them, of course, and they knew me already and we had a fairly good relationship. And they said, oh, there's an agent who's really interested in trying to sell this book. So about a month after the book won the prize, the three of us, Um, got together and we had a discussion about, you know, how we'd sell it and what parts to um, focus on. And then in um, October, so every year in October, there's a really big important event in Frankfurt where a lot of the book rights are traded, um, bought and sold. So that's um, an important um, date in the calendar. So I was asked to prepare some materials for the um, Frankfurt Book Fair, a synopsis and a sample translation. Which I did, and um the agent sold it almost immediately, and I, very soon after that I heard from the commissioning editor at Viking press and uh, so we got to work on hammering out a contract and I started translating much to my delight <laughs>
1: it, it is a delightful read it's heartbreaking it's funny it's
0: it's sad
1: it's it's, it's it really covers all of the emotions um for for the people at home who might not be familiar with the book do you want to give a a short summary of of the boy and the dog
0: okay well um it's a series of um six linked stories about a dog um who's who seems to be traveling from the north of japan down to the south and each story is um yeah features a different characters like there's the man and the dog the prostitute and the dog the boy and the dog the um, what else is there the thief and the dog so yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i i'm so close to it i can't really say anymore what about you how would you describe it well
1: i would say that it the the dog shows up and he's sort of somewhat guardian somewhat guide to a better or a more interesting part of the person's life, um, it reminded me of, it's funny, there's this Canadian children's show called Mm. The Littlest Hobo, which is a very terrible name for a TV show, but it, um, it came out in the 90s and it really actually reminded me very much of this book. It's about a dog who shows up and gets caught up in people's lives and then after like the climax, he disappears into the forest to go find another yeah, family or person to whose life to enrich. And that is exactly what sort of is going on here, although it's also quite violent. And I I, I was doing a little bit of research on Seishu Hase's life but or his um body of work. Where does yeah. this stand in his oeuvre?
0: You're right. So he um he is mostly known as a um a writer of noir. And in fact, I always I describe this book as dog noir actually, or canine noir, <laughs> um, because it has all those characters which is typical of noir writing, sort of morally compromised characters, and um each yeah, the, the main character in each story that the dog finds is is it has something um that yeah they're having trouble with. So yeah, he he is particularly known for that and um Yakuza novels. He's also a game writer, but he's a um a very passionate dog owner. And he uh, I was when he when he won this prize I was reading the things he said and he said like you know it was one of these stories that I, I just felt I could not not write. And he decided to write it because he read a, a translated book, um, some kind of crime mystery book that featured a dog, and he didn't think that the dog in that book behaved um, naturally. It wasn't. Okay. Whereas, <laughs> and he could do better, so he tried. But I think that's one of the things that I really, really liked about this dog. That it's not anthropomorphizing, It's not written from the dog's point of view. You know, like we don't know what goes on in the dog's head. You hear what the humans around him speculate as to mm-hmm. what he's thinking or doing, but we—it's—we don't know, and and that's part of the mystery of what is going on in the dog's head and the dog's heart. That's
1: yes. He's always facing us a, a, a certain direction. He's always yeah. like looking a certain way. Like he's he's not quite where he needs to be. But that's all we know about yeah. Tamon. Yeah. Um, that's
0: right. Um, Tamon, yeah, and Tamonten. So his name, and that was another really uh, interesting thing we learn in the first chapter is called Tamon, Tamonten. And um, I think that name was just a stroke of genius, actually, because Tamonten, it comes from, you know, um, it's one of the four guardians of the Buddha, and one of the guardians of the, um, so he has four guardians uh, guardians in each cardinal direction, Tamonten is the guardian of the north. So immediately that that gives a kind of a resonance of some sort of mystical <laughs> um, nature about him. And Tamontem the god is no um, sweet being, he's quite a fierce looking <laughs> god, he's a warrior, he's the god of warriors, he's a protector he's a protector of the weak and the innocent. So there's a strength um, that comes from that name, and um, inf- and that's inferred in, in Tamon the dog as well.
1: I I loved that, and I loved this dog. I mean, I didn't want anything bad to happen to him. I I just are you? I mean, anytime a dog shows up in fiction, I just want them to win. Like I want them to win the book. I don't know necessarily yeah. what that what that'll mean, um, yeah. but I was totally brought along here. What are the challenges of translating a book like this were were there any parts that really tripped you up or are there concepts in Japanese that are sort of difficult to translate over into American English
0: well for one I think the that the name and the spiritual resonances of that name I thought that that was something that probably didn't come through as strongly in the English as in the Japanese but there's not much I can really do about that I just trust that people will google if they can you don't want to um, overload the text with you know, with all these didactic little footnotes or you know, <laughs> excess but I just
1: As much I, as you I, might want to.
0: Yeah, as yeah. much as you might want to. So I just, you know, like I did add a few words into dialogue, I'd slip into the dialogue, like Tamontian, you know, the guardian, protected deity, that sort of thing. I, I put a few clues um, in the text. But I think perhaps the biggest challenge for for this book was the style because it's written in very spare um, language. And and that is actually extremely difficult to translate (laughs) uh, because, you you know, you can't, uh, you you don't have a lot to play with. And um, Japanese and English are very different in, in the conventions of both languages. For example, Japanese writing accepts a lot more um tolerates a lot more repetition of words and phrases than english does so when you're writing in english you can't you know you can't begin with the same word at the same sentence all the time and repeat the same vocabulary so but those those parts and then getting the overall rhythm of the prose as well that was something um i found quite challenging um so yes this working on the style i guess was the The hardest thing. And you you kind of know how many times I rewrote that opening paragraph. That was (laughs) the first line is the most important. And yeah, I tried out so many things, but
1: I'm gonna read to the to the people at home what this first paragraph is so that they know what we're talking about here. Because I think it is it it's so evocative and it really does bring you so much into the world of this book. There was a dog in the corner of the convenience store parking lot, had a collar but no leash, it was skinny but looked alert, maybe the owner was inside the store, maybe the dog belonged to a disaster victim. Such were Kazumasa Nakagaki's thoughts as he parked his car. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, that's your first view of the dog, that's also just the first view of this person who is immediately empathizing, they're already thinking about the inner life of the dog. So you're already putting, and the dog is a mirror. He ends up being a mirror for the person who is with them. And I love that about dogs, that they mm-hmm. can do that, that they, a dog accepts its surroundings in a way, yeah. especially Tamon. Um, yeah. Talk to me about dogs in fiction and what dogs mean to you when you meet them in a book.
0: Oh, so yeah, I think there is something really, really special about dogs and the relationship between humans and dogs that this book captures perfectly. Something almost mystical. It's different to cats in a way, and there's always uh, dogs are the one creature that have lived, been domesticated, and lived closely with humans. So I don't know. I grew up with dogs, and I just love them. <laughs> And um, I have my dog here as well. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Tintin and Snowy. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. that yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Tintin and Snowy. But I guess I don't like talking dogs that much. I don't like talking animals. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> as I said before, I um I'm leaving here next year. I'm actually going through all my things and tidying up. You know, 35 years of life, and. I'd never realized before, but my whole life I've been taking random pictures of dogs that I meet anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I meet a dog, I just see it as another friendly being. Um, I just want to meet and and commune with for a little bit. And um, I think they make the world a better place.
1: <laughs> I fully agree. I've I have my dog at home here. And anytime yeah. I meet a a dog in fiction, I just think, well, what would my dog Ramona think of this dog, you know, what would, would Ramona and Timon, you know, hang out? The answer is probably no, because Ramona is quite small and Timon is like a medium to larger size dog. They don't usually get along, but I, I still, I, I am the owner of that dog while, as I'm reading this book, like I kept loving each section because it really is Everybody sees this dog for what they want to see.
0: Yes, yes. Even
1: though, of course, he also is giving off his own vibe and 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 life. Did you did you have a favorite section? Was there some character that was the most fun to be translating?
0: Um, I think my favorite one was Yaichi the hunter. Oh, mm-hmm. oh that just broke my heart. That <laughs> you know, like you can just see what I could just picture that man, you know, like one of these people, Japanese men who can't show their emotions or you know has so much trouble relating to people around him, but he could communicate with dogs. And oh, he, I just cried so many times <laughs> when I was translating this. I just thought it was. I won't say what happens at the end, but yeah. Oh, it's it, it is it
1: it does take you on on. Quite a journey. You go all over Japan with this dog. It, it the the notes this book. It, I mean, it does. It hits crime. It hits um, sort of relationship novels, and also ha- it falls into fable as well. There's there's a character who's the most frustrating character in the book. I think is is in the couple who is this <laughs> sort of guileless, like has no um, everything slops off of him easily. This character who is so frustrating, but you you see how he loves the dog but still is unable to give a dog what he needs because he can't give any anybody what they need. Uh, I, I I was completely that was a frustrating section,
0: yes. And also, I think that sex that story was very intriguing, too. So you know, like when I was translating that, I was looking very, very carefully at the key scene at the end, thinking, Okay, what is Tamon doing here? <laughs> and choosing my words very carefully and rereading the, the original text over and over because I didn't want to infer too much, but I had my opinion of what he was doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I am I'm so excited for people to discover this book and and, and read it. Um you've had a You've translated a few novels. Another one that I was I, I've read, um, Spark is a completely oh, you, different You read that. Yeah. It's <laughs> a completely different thing. Yeah. Fully a different world. It's a different writing style. Like I can see that it's not the same yeah. sort of language at all. And it's yeah. the hardest thing in the world. It's translating jokes. Yes. Because yeah. it's these are these are stand-up comedians, um, yeah. <laughs> that world. So Spark is a is a fascinating novel. And I, I'd love to know what's it like to translate a novel like Spark versus a novel like The Boy and the Dog? Yeah,
0: so Spark is probably the hardest novel I've ever translated. Um, So The Boy and the Dog uh, was a prize-winning novel. It, it won the Nauke Prize, which is a prize given for um, the best of popular literature. And Spark also won a prize, the Akaguto one, which is given to a debut novelist. So I guess you could say that's the difference between a a first-time novelist and a mature novelist. So Spark is full of uh, ideas that are perhaps not fully um, explored or drawn out, and and it, it was extremely difficult to compress what the author was saying um and as you said translating that that humor that was um that was the real challenge but and it's a completely different style so with with every book you have to immerse yourself in the world of that style I don't want every book I translate to sound like Alison Watts so (laughs) the spark I can't remember what I read for that but anyway I try to read lots of books in similar genres in English and and find different authors that I can perhaps borrow from or or break down their analyze their style and their pattern and sentence patterns and vocabulary. And that's so that's how I do it, basically. But for Spark, there was a lot in there. Um the, the humor, manzai is not a very accessible humor in any language, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. So the that... Most-
1: Manzai um, is is duo comedy. There's a straight man and a and sort of a yes. goofy person, and they're and yeah. they're they're telling jokes rapid fire. I I had to yeah. I watched some um, clips on YouTube because I wanted to know what it was, and it it is very strange. Um, it, yeah, coming at it from it's, a Western perspective.
0: It it is, but, but also Manzai is interesting because that has really. Really uh, long, long stretches way back in time to the shrines, to the kami. It's the same as with tamon. Um, Its origins are in shrine, going around at shrines at New Year and telling jokes and chasing out gods. So um, there's that aspect of it too. Everything is connected in Japanese culture somehow to the to the gods, basically. And that's what uh, they're doing, you know that telling jokes is a form of um, yeah, form of veneration to the gods in in spark
1: right. I mean they they say that it's you should be performing to the gods like that even if there's no one no one yeah. watching you, there's still some gods around.
0: yeah, you're doing it for the <laughs> for the gods that's right. So yeah, and that's why um sake. You know, sake is always, um, at, if you go to any shrine, there will be like some um, sake there for the gods as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> all connected. Yeah. It is
1: all connected.
0: And mountains, mountains are homes of the gods too. Um, so that's why, uh, you know, Tamon's journey through the mountains was kind of a sort of a spiritual journey as well. Um, oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Do you always have your, translator mind on when you're reading Japanese like do you are you whenever you're reading a Japanese novel are you thinking like oh I should I should be translating this one or, um, or are you always like hold or can you hold yourself back from that
0: well not so much anymore because I'm actually overloaded with books to translate <laughs> so oh, that's
1: a nice place to it, be
0: it is yeah it is um I've just this last week finished translating another one which will be coming out next year and it's it's called what you are looking for is in the library which is (laughs) a great title and a great title yeah so with Japanese books it's rare these days that I I read in Japanese just simply for pleasure I just don't have the time and also in English as well because I've got to read in two languages I'm always trying to read books to um, match up with the book, book I'm currently translating, so um, I guess the only time I actually read for pure pleasure is when I'm on holiday, and in the half hour before I go to sleep at night.
1: <laughs> what were you reading for while you were working on the boy and the dog? What was what were your key texts?
0: Um, so one of them, I was I tried to read noir. One of, I read Razorblade. Blade. The Razor Blade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Mm. So I really enjoyed that. And that was a great lesson in um what expanding what you could do with, with noir style writing and you know looking, ah oh God, he's a brilliant writer. S.
1: Absolutely, S. yes.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, I looked at his, I looked at some of the authors that um san is influenced by. Uh, Elmer Leonard and Raymond Carver Ernest Hemingway but I didn't really feel like any of them were particularly I could transfer them directly to this book so I guess it was a blend of yeah different different writers but
1: um Do you read them those like would you read a Raymond Carver story like translated into Japanese and then translated back out to sort of see how someone else has has done that or or is it a, uh
0: no no i just more or less go foraging
1: okay <laughs>
0: yeah um and for example on my kindle uh, i'll download lots of samples of authors i might i might want to might think uh, could be useful and see if the samples fits the style i'm looking for and if it does i'll download the book and then i'll make lots of notes and highlights and Words I could steal or phrases I could use perhaps <laughs> in my translation. So, yeah,
1: it seems so, like the work of a translator is like a work of a plunderer in some ways. Like it seems like you're 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 going treasure hunting.
0: I am. I always think of myself as like foraging for words. <laughs> I'm always making notes and writing them down on post its and and uh, memos to to. Yeah, useful later.
1: <laughs> you recommended a book mm. for me to read in in concert with the boy and the dog, which um, was one I'd already read. Actually, I read it when it first came out. Peter Heller's The Dog Stars. Um, yeah. I read it, and it came out a decade ago, which was a huge surprise to me, by the way, because. Yeah. It has stuck with me and I thought that it, you know, in the way that you always think that everything just happened a couple of years ago, it yeah. was it was very surprising that a couple years ago was 10 years ago when this <laughs> book came out. I'd love for you to tell me why you brought The Dog Stars by Peter Heller um, as your recommendation.
0: Well, like you, that's a book that has stuck with me. Um, I think I b- bought it in about... 2016 or yeah possibly about 2015 or 16 uh, when I was actually in um, Denver airport because <laughs> wherever I go I like to try and find bookshops and, mm-hmm. airports and bookshops because there's no bookshops in where I live here in this town and I picked that up as a local book because I like the title and then I just loved it and I read it a couple of times the scene where Jasper dies I think is the saddest dog scene <laughs> I read this is
1: a this is a decade old old book, and I, I will say that's not a spoiler because it really happened in the first third of the yeah. book. So anybody who's and also there's a whole website called does the dog dot com uh, for movies, <laughs> TV shows, and books where oh. you can if if you are a susceptible to dogs passing away in your entertainment, you can you can save yourself. Uh, oh. the, but the dog stars is a book because most of the book is actually about the grief of what happens if your dog dies like is the Mm. world even yeah does the whole world hold anything (laughs) after your dog dies (laughs) i mean there there's a a common interpretation of cormac mccarthy's the road Mm. which is sort of like what happens if my as because Cormac McCarthy, I guess, became a father very late in life, and he was just thinking, like, what if I die and that my kid has to be living without me? He'll be living in a sort of his own post-apocalypse, the post-apocalypse of losing your using losing your elderly father. Yeah. And I think in that same um, one-to-one sort of interpretation, you can say that the Dog Stars is truly like: is the world worthwhile after your dog dies?
0: <laughs> Exactly. Everything is a before and after in that book, isn't it? After Jasper dies. But I, you know, I started rereading it again because I'd recommended it to you, and I haven't read it since before the pandemic. So, reading it post pandemic, well, not post actually, but <laughs> right. it's it, yeah, it kind of resonated in different ways. And also, reading it post pandemic translating the boy and the dog that's it resonated for me in different ways because there are things I noticed this time around for example the relationship uh, between dogs and wolves is quite is subtly highlighted in there you know like the the wolves are gradually encroaching on the perimeter from the mountain but mm-hmm. Jasper is you know Jasper is this domesticated dog always by um he, his owner's side. But there is this kind of wild part for him, like he really relishes eating the jerky made from humans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so and and Hig is always torn between you know these two ways of living, to be to be like his Bangley, his companion, who's just like this military nut and just shoots yeah. him. <laughs> 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 or, or to live a gentler, sort of more poetic um, kind of life.
1: Absolutely, and I also I also feel like since this book has come out, and even before, post-apocalyptic fiction has really taken on a new shape and and has and has become far more complicated. You know, when yeah. I think of like Severance by Lang Ma or uh, Station Eleven, even by um, Emily St. John Mandel, these um, are novels that are deeply complicated, the, the world is compl- has become complicated um, yeah. even after everything. But in The Dog Stars, Peter Heller seems to think things would be simplified, that, it would, that life would be taken down to its bare bones and maybe that's better. And maybe that has something to do with this being his first novel. Yeah. Um, and he's a nature writer by trade beforehand.
0: yeah. um you discover I realized when I read read it through this time that he makes reference to the um the Andes that you know the plane crash that uh, the soccer team that went down in the, in the Andes and I think the film alive was based on that. And I remembered that since I had last read the, the dog stars, I've actually read a book written by one of the survivors of the Andes. um oh wow. Yeah, and I have to recommend that because it's brilliant. It's called Out of the, si- Out of the Silence After the Crash by Eduardo Straut. And it's about how that changed his life and, and what he learned from that experience. And the only, the overwhelming lesson from that book is being on the mountain, he learned about to become one with the mountain and about the value of um, self-knowledge and finding self-knowledge through silence and spirituality and poetry and music and art. And I feel that, in essence, that's what um, Peter Heller is trying to express too, like poetry and Tang poets, Tang dynasty poets feature a lot in in the Dog Stars. So, yeah, yeah. that expression of spirituality is perhaps what the goal should be no, for us, no matter what the circumstances are.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that resonates with me. Are you drawn to post-apocalyptic fiction in other realms, or is was was this a special one for you?
0: Um, I am, to a certain degree, uh, actually another post-apocalyptic book i i remembered reading and i remembered i'd read it a long time ago but uh, on the beach by neville shoot have you heard of it i read it so, i
1: i'm just about to get my my library copy of that of that and oh, i i realize my, where i am in line i'm a, i'm just it's yeah. just coming through the line
0: because i immediately thought of that after reading the dog stars again and it's I mean, it was written in 1957, so it's quite old. You know, over a half a century now, and it's set in Melbourne, at the mm. which is on the southernmost coast of Australia, and after there's been a, a nuclear war between uh, China and Russia, <laughs> and so the northern hemisphere has been wiped out, and the people in Melbourne are just or southern Australia are just like they know that doomsday is coming that like, so it's like living in the face of death and what society is like then so I mean this book was written and Neville Shute was English and he, an Englishman who immigrated to Australia and he was an engineer so, so it's the style is kind of it's so old but it's very chilling Mm. Uh, it's so or- ordinary, you know, and like they're very civilized. Melbourne is quite a conservative sort of society where they drink their pink gins and <laughs> so all that quaint, dated language against this chilling background of a nuclear war <laughs> and imminent death and doom. It's, um, it gives a really eerie, uncanny <laughs> effect. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I yeah. mean,
1: I, I am fascinated by Neville Shute's work. I mean, A Town Like Alice is a classic uh-huh. that I really love, um, yeah. and so I, I've been meaning to read On the Beach forever because it's a seminal, yeah, work in the in the canon. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> of imagining the end of the world.
0: Yes, I know, and and how we face it. Um, that book, On the Beach, that. The scene that sticks with me most is a Grand Prix. They have a Grand Prix car race, and so everyone's <laughs> driving their Ferraris, and and then start bringing out all the other cars. And well, this is the end of the world, so they just drive to the limit. And yeah,
1: yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's
1: it's so funny when you can compare that to Peter Heller's post-apocalypse. I just I I really feel like he was trying to become be as spare as possible, there's so few characters there's yeah. so even little conflict. the conflict is all within it's all um i I, I listened to the to it this time Mark Deacons reads the audiobook and it is yeah. a really uh lovely experience if you've read this once and you were wondering if it was time to reread it, listening to it can bring a new uh-huh. valence to the text and I was most noting that it's just it's a much sadder book than I remembered. I know it was sad when I first read it, but it's yeah it's it's truly just about grief, grief for the yeah world yes. as it used to be as for for a life that used to include his wife uh, yeah. and then grief for losing your dog, which yeah. all of that is very familiar um but it's except for the losing the world part i guess
0: yeah. yeah but it's also extremely beautiful the language is just so uh, concise and, and poetic and just it's full of absolutely beautiful images you could open it up to any page and find there some phrase or or sentence that would just slice you, your heart it's, I, yeah
1: yeah well it was great to re-experience it and it's it's also so lovely to come to a book ten years later because you really do get a um, a nice perspective on the person that you were when you first read it. Um, yeah. and so there there is that lovely thing if you can wait ten years between rereading a book that you <laughs> liked, you can really it's it's a great way to take some. <laughs> self-stock I found uh, some journal entries that I wrote while I was reading this book and it was obviously quite
0: affecting for me (laughs) oh that must have been an interesting journey
1: (laughs) yeah so I I really thank you for recommending um this book to for me to you didn't know I was revisiting it but I'm glad you glad you brought it back up because I I mean I I'm not sure I would have ever thought about it again other than uh, as something to reread. I, I'm not sure I would have put that on my list of like, oh, I need to absolutely be sure to reread that book. And I'm so glad that I did. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd, I'd love to know what else you recommend. Do you recommend other things for this is the oh, recommendation okay. part of the show.
0: <laughs> so I would like to recommend another book I've translated actually. And okay. you mentioned it in your introduction is sweet bean paste by Durian Skagawa. Yeah. Um, so that was the first book I translated after I decided to become a full-time literary translator. And um, it's it was published in 2017 by One World Publications in the UK. And it didn't have a lot of you know, publicity or when it was launched. But a strange thing has happened over the last three years that it is boomed in popularity all around the world because of the pandemic and okay it's one of these books that it makes you feel better for having read read it but it's like during this period when people have been you know in quarantine they've been unable to go out and they've had the chance to think about you know what's important to them and, and what's important about life this is a book that will help you teach you something (laughs) help you find (laughs) focus your thoughts
1: Mm. Uh,
0: so yeah and this too like hassan the style is is very spare Mm -hmm. and with flashes of poetry in it so Mm -hmm. it's 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 seemingly spare and simple but there is just so many depths to it that um keep you keep it in your mind and heart long after you've finished reading it <laughs> yeah. well
1: i i i ordered a copy it didn't arrive before uh this interview so i'm excited for it to show up because yeah. i i am very excited to read it um, right. that brought up a question for me do you have a do you have a guiding light when you're translating is there something that you is like a an essence that you're that sort of drives you to this work
0: I think every book I do I'm doing it because I want to be able to share that in English so it just uh, it occupies my head (laughs) it occupies everything I do while in the course of doing it so I guess it's my passion I suppose for that particular work whatever I do I'm, I'm doing it yeah so it's I just
1: a, people... it's like a radical act of sharing is yeah, really what it is that's why it's like, I
0: wanted to, yes
1: it's it's like the it's even more than just like giving somebody a copy of the book it's like I'm gonna put this in the words you understand you need this that badly
0: yeah i I feel I feel like um I don't know my role is to be sort of a medium between <laughs> this this literary world and the English literary world and um, just sort of this kind of invisible (laughs) creature in between going between two worlds (laughs) and hopefully not becoming too visible in the process
1: yeah yeah I mean there's there's a lively debate over how translators should be credited if they should be on the cover of books or if they should be in the background do you have a do you have a feeling there
0: Yes, absolutely. They should be on the cover. And because we are co-authors in a certain sense, it's like a marriage. The foreign language edition would not exist without the character, without the author, the translator. And translation is not just a process of, you know, opening up a dictionary and changing one word for the other. There's so much um, creative writing required to be able to, um make it into a work that will be acceptable for English readers so with the boy and the dog I was thrilled this time actually to get my name on the cover for the first time because I do think you know that it is a, a work of creation on the translator's part and they should be that should be acknowledged
1: <laughs> I fully I'm fully with you i I, I completely agree because it is it, it and it's the reality of the book I, it, it isn't just the author; it's it's you two together. So, yeah. um, I was I was very happy to see that on the cover of this. It's right, right underneath yeah. Seishu name is translated from the Japanese by Alison Watts. Very, yeah. I think that is the right placement, and um, I I think it's. I always think it's kind of sad when I see something that's translated, but the translator is you have to flip through mm. and find that name because. I think it's you know in some ways it's 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 somewhat false advertising. it's you have to know who who did the the that extra work to get it into your hands,
0: yeah, well, there has been this idea in the publishing industry that like English readers don't like to know that they're reading a translation you know and it's it's bad, bad for sales it's you know it's not good so that's another reason why I'm so happy with the boy and the dog um that Viking have put the title, the original Japanese title, in kanji, which I, I think is just great. It's totally embracing the fact that this book is a translation and um, showing it to the world. That makes me really, really happy.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, I like that too. Mm. I'm going to recommend a book as well. I just finished this um a couple of days ago and it's I was totally surprised that I was so drawn to this book, um, it's actually the sequel to the Circle uh, yeah. by Dave Eggers, uh, The Every by Dave mm-hmm. Eggers. I was, I was not expecting to like this book, but it, which yeah. um, I mean, I re- I liked the Circle, but didn't love it. Um, I just thought it was sort of okay, but not. It didn't get into, sort of the, the muck that I thought was underneath the driving mm-hmm. force of that novel. But the every absolutely does and if you were walk if you're reading the circle by dave eggers and you thought that was okay but i kind of wanted something more it's like he also agreed and then wrote a sequel to his book was like i'm gonna try to get a little bit deeper into this world um and it's very interesting to be reading the every right now as you're watching as as we watch twitter and facebook and all of these social networks seeming to be in their decline, uh, Mm -hmm. you you get a sense of what what might be happening behind the scenes and the sort of strange philosophies that are driving the type of unmitigated growth and then fast declines of these social networks. Mm,
0: Um, Interesting. Okay. And it's it's also
1: extremely funny. So the every by oh, Dave is <laughs> um I, I I it's almost six hundred pages, and I did not feel that length at all. Mm. So so that is a really that is a really cool thing. And can you remind me one more time? Out of the silence. That was the name of the other book that you recommended.
0: Um yeah, out of the silence after the crash, by Eduardo. Strouch, I think is how you say it, S-T-R-A-U-C-H. And that book is also a translation too from Spanish. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it what? only came out a few years ago. Yeah. Nice. That's really worth um, reading, I think. Yeah, the thing about mountains. Because oh, that's the other thing I wanted to say about The Boy and the Dog, and it's another reason why I, I loved it, because it's about mountains. Yeah. Um, Japan is geographically, about two-thirds of the country is mountains. Like, mm. you can't go anywhere and not, not see a mountain. But I do get the feeling that a lot of what is translated or people's perception of Japan is skewed by Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> and the the fact of Tokyo, I mean, it is a very unique place. But there is so much more. And um, and yeah mountains are just central to life to to cultural customs to the religion to everything so this dog's journey through the mountains is uh is a really yeah important image I think
1: and it's a lovely image I mean I really um I could feel them on the trail on the when in the wild I, I I just I just felt like that was a that was a great part of the book.
0: Yeah. Did you notice the map in the book at the beginning? I so haven't. I have, the, an,
1: I have oh, an advanced copy, so I don't know if I was given oh, the yeah. map.
0: Okay. So I, I wonder if the map is in there. So the map was created specially for this book.
1: It says map and... TK. This is the problem with.
0: Oh, okay. With so,
1: advanced, Oh, it's really, it's really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this map was, ha, does not have Tokyo on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got every place in the book but no Tokyo on it so that's the uh, yeah, it's a unique map that um oh,
1: that is surprising
0: <laughs> yeah to help the reader because I thought uh you would have no idea what the scale of the journey is unless you look at a map but the places dog goes are not really um, major locations so you, you wouldn't know where to find them <laughs> if you didn't didn't have a map to help you so yeah great, great feature See, this is this is the
1: um this is the problem with uh reading reading advanced reader copies of books I mean I get books early and they yeah. and the publisher sends me the book so that is a lovely thing yeah. but sometimes you miss out on these very cool late editions yeah. <laughs> Uh, like a like an illustrated map so I'm going to have mm-hmm. to find an actual copy of this book that isn't um, a mass yeah. market paper back that they <laughs> made so that reviewers would read it um, yeah. Allison this has been so lovely I'm so glad that you could hang out with me um, and take part of your morning and my mm-hmm. evening here uh, mm-hmm. to, to hang out with me um, also oh to the people at home I highly recommend, uh, of course, buying a copy of The Boy and the Dog, um, translated by Alison Watts, written by Seisho Hase. It's an incredible novel. I really loved every moment of it. Um, And I also think that if you want to support the show, you know, you might want to support so many damn books. And if that's the case, what you need to do is... If you don't have any money to spend, just give me an iTunes review. It's been a while since I've gotten an iTunes review and they're extremely helpful for other people discovering the show. Also, just tell your friend to listen to So Many Damn Books. And then you can also, if you have a couple dollars you'd like to chip in, patreon.com smdb is the place to do that. You get the show without any ads at all. Um, you also get a little bit of extra content with the authors that I hang out with. And you get to know the books that I'm going to be featuring before the books are featured on the show. As, lo- oh, as well as little things get sent in the mail. Sometimes it's a nice time. The Patreon people have a lot of fun with me, and but mostly it's about the books. It's about folks like you, Allison. I'm really, I really loved this book, and I'm really glad that we could hang out and talk about this world of translation because it's a completely wonderful world. And I'm so glad that you're doing this work because it means that I got to hang out with Tamon, and I, and I, <laughs> and I love this dog.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure for me too. You, you can't imagine, I, I don't get this opportunity to talk about what I do or the books I translate very often at all. I've never done a podcast before, so you're the first. Oh, that's um, exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Christopher. I'll, I'll certainly recommend the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Allison, and uh, I will. I hope we get to cross paths again soon.
0: Yeah, I do.